Good morning, faithful listener. You are listening to the Bible Explained podcast, where the Bible gets explained. So grab your cup of coffee and stay tuned as we read through the book of Deuteronomy. Happy Friday, faithful listener. Okay, I truly don't know what it is. I can talk all day. And the second I start the podcast, I'm not even joking. This happens to me all the time. I can't speak anymore. Like my voice is just gone. And I don't know why this happens. Like I can I can sit on the phone for an hour and talk just fine without any problems at all. But the second I hit the record button, my voice is gone. <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but it happens quite often. So bear with me as my voice just seems to... Uh, to go today. So we're going to talk about Deuteronomy chapter 25 verses 1 through 4 today. But before we begin talking about scripture today, I'm actually in the process of doing a new YouTube video, which I'm excited to talk about. YouTube is just fun for me because I can sort of talk about um, just whatever is on my mind at that time. Not saying that the podcast isn't fun. It's just the podcast is more structured. Does that make sense? So the YouTube channel kind of gives me a chance to be unstructured and just talk about whatever I am feeling in the moment regarding like apologetics or questions or something like that, biblical questions. So what I'm going to be talking about on the new YouTube video coming out soon is God's kill count or rather the biblical kill count. And recently that has uh, resurfaced as a talking point for some reason. Because even though it was first made sort of popular, like back in 2010 or whatever, somebody decided to like go into the Bible and count God's kill count, I guess. It recently resurfaced. And it's just absolutely hysterical. It is so funny. So I wanted to talk about that. I'm going to be discussing God's kill count and why it is uh, so preposterously stupid as a talking point or rather a criticism against God. So we'll be talking about that over on the YouTube channel. So before that episode comes out, you'll find YouTube linked in the description of this podcast episode. Go over there and subscribe if you would to the YouTube channel. But let's go ahead and read Deuteronomy 25 today, verses one through four. Grab your cup of coffee and also your Bible. And I'll be reading a W.E.B. version as usual. If there is a controversy between men and they come to the judgment and the judges judge them, then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. It shall be if the wicked man is worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face, according to his wickedness by number. He may sentence him to no more than 40 stripes. He shall not give more, lest if he shall give more and beat him more than that many stripes, then your brother will be degraded in your sight." You shall not muzzle the ox while he treads out the grain. So verses one through three is talking about the punishment of somebody who is wicked. So verse one says, if there's a controversy between men, so in other words, two people are arguing and they decide to go to the judges, to the court system to try to iron out this fight. And it says that the judges will justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. There was really no excuse in these days for wickedness, just as there shouldn't have been. Like God was very clear about what happens to wicked people all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout Scripture, actually, regardless of Old or New Testament. All throughout Scripture, wickedness is condemned 
because wickedness is bad. But like nowadays, we're kind of just like, oh, God is so mean because he condemns wickedness. Hence that whole kill count thing that I was talking about at the very beginning of this episode that I'm doing the YouTube video on. It's like people get really mad when God doles out justice, but he tells people to dole out justice also. It says, justify the righteous and condemn the wicked. That's really a very basic idea, isn't it? Like giving justice to the good people. That's what everybody wants. or that's what everybody says that they actually want. But nobody really wants it because when punishment is doled out, everybody gets all mad nowadays. They get mad at, at God. They get mad at the judges who do it. They get mad at the uh, government for doling out punishment to wicked people. But the problem is, is that if punishment is not given out to somebody who deserves it, then that person will continue to do whatever he was doing that wasn't good. And not only will he continue to do it, but other people will see, oh, there's no punishment if I go do that same thing, then they'll start doing it. And then it'll just be like this snowball effect of people just getting worse and worse and worse because no punishment is ever given out. There's actually a verse in Proverbs, I'm not sure where, that says that if punishment is not given out quickly, then that person will continue to do whatever thing he thinks he can get away with. And that's what happens nowadays. We see that happening more and more throughout society of people just being able to get away with doing terrible things. They play the system, make everybody's feelings, you know, feel for them. And then they just keep doing terrible things over and over again. So God makes it pretty clear here in verse one of Deuteronomy five that a judge needs to dole out punishment quickly for the person who is wicked. It shall be if the wicked man is worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face according to his wickedness by number. This is not a fun punishment to receive. And also notice that it mentions that this person is wicked. It says wickedness three times. So if somebody is truly wicked, in other words, they uh, did something bad, they are a criminal, then that person is to be beaten, is what it says, by according to his wickedness by number. So what this means is that the judges determine how many whips this guy is going to get based upon the crime that he committed. So uh, this could be as many as 40 whips. The W.E.B. version calls them stripes. So it says in verse three, he may sentence him to no more than 40 stripes. He shall not give more, lest if he should give more and beat him more than that many stripes and your brother will be degraded in your sight. So this wicked person, even though he was wicked and he did whatever he did that was terrible, he was not supposed to be beaten more than 40 lashes, basically. Because if it was more than 40, it starts becoming unjust. It starts becoming excessive. The punishment is too much. Because 40 whips, that's a lot of whips. I mean, just in and of itself, that's a lot. And if you exceed that, the person could bleed to death. The person could be in shock. The person could really uh, be, have some serious damage done to him beyond what his crime really was. Not only that, it actually says that 
it will be degrading for that criminal if he is beaten more than he deserves. So all Israelites, even criminals, were to be treated with an amount of respect. Like everybody was supposed to be treated with an amount of respect. And really, this is somewhat gracious of God to put a limit on the, the amount of whips a person could receive. If you think about it, because people, when they are angry, have a tendency to go overboard. So God's putting a stop to that. Now, what's really interesting about all of this is you're going to find out later on in the New Testament that Paul actually received five whippings of 39 lashes from the Jewish people. Now, that, of course, was unjust because Paul did not do anything wrong other than spread the word of Jesus. So, of course, the Jews took this, even this law, and twisted it to dole out punishment to somebody who was not wicked, to somebody who was not deserving of this punishment at all. And uh, Paul received it five times from the Jewish people. And it turned out that later on in the New Testament, the Jewish people would actually, they put a limit on this law. 39 was the most lashes a person could receive because apparently if you went to 40, according to the Jewish people, you could miscount and accidentally do 41. So in, other, so in order to uh, not break this law, I guess in their mind, they, the, the maximum punishment was 39 lashes, which is really funny. And Paul received 39 lashes, five different occasions from the Jewish people. So unfortunately, every law in the Old Testament was completely twisted completely 100 percent, you know, not done the correct way, which is why, of course, Jesus came to earth and saved us from all that fulfilled the law. It's so important for us to read the law and just see how much God cares about people, even in even in laws like this, where we're when we first read this, we're like, wow, you know, 40 lashes, that's a lot. But yet it was because this person committed potentially a very terrible crime of some sort. We don't know what crime. It could have been. But regardless, uh, this person deserved it. Honestly, that's what it says. Condemn the wicked because they deserved this punishment. Now, one last thing I want to mention about all of this is that the judges, it actually says, were supposed to be there. This was not just some average Joe like beating his neighbor because he feels like his neighbor neighbor deserves it or whatever. This was a court setting and a judge was the one who had to basically judge this. And not only that, the judge would have to stand there and make sure that uh, everything was done to this law, that not more than 40 lashes were given, you know, that the proper number was was doled out, I suppose. So this was not just like the Wild West of somebody just like beating their neighbor because they think that uh, that's what they could do. This was once again in a court setting. And I think that's very important to note also that this was like governing authorities that were given the, uh, the the authority to do this. So let's talk about verse four here. And verse four is totally unrelated, actually, to verses one through three. It says, you shall not muzzle the ox when he treads out the grain. <laughs> so this verse is talking about a ox that when he treads the grain out, he should be allowed to eat of the grain that he is treading out. 
So it would actually be cruelty for the owner of that ox to muzzle the ox, force him to do all of the work of treading out the grain and refusing to let the animal eat while he is treading out the grain. This law was specifically against animal abuse. This was showing humane uh, treatment towards animals. But that's not the only reason this law is in scripture. Paul mentions it twice in the New Testament to this exact law. And I'm actually going to read it from verse, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 7 through 14. So here's what Paul has to say about the law of do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 7, starting out, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us. Because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So the law in Deuteronomy 25 is not just talking about oxen. It's also talking about preachers, leaders, and teachers of the gospel. So what Paul is saying here is that for some reason, some people think that preachers should not get paid. Some people believe very strongly that teachers, elders, leaders, whoever should not get paid for their ministry. But Paul is actually making the argument that teachers, preachers, elders, leaders should get paid all the more. They should make their living on the gospel is what it says. Because what other job out there expects the person to work for free? I mean, he mentions a handful of jobs here. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? So what person of any other job out there is expected to work for free? So why are preachers, teachers, elders expected to work for free? Actually, um, Dave Ramsey talks about this quite a bit. He mentions how preachers and like youth leaders and teachers in general in the church who use that as their main career almost always live under the average income. They are getting paid dismally, basically. And that's because of the heart of the people of the church. Actually, my mom and I were recently talking about this idea and she was telling me a story of how she knew a person years ago who was actually offended over the fact that the church would pass the plate for offering. But yet she went to a concert with the same person and uh, it was not a Christian concert. And the concert people 
started passing a plate for donations. And this person my mom knew gave money in the concert plate. (laughs) It's a funny story because that truly is the, uh, the mindset of a lot of people, like how dare the, the church ask for money? How dare these preachers ask for money and live off of being a preacher? I, 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 you know, I've talked with my sister a lot about this, who is a preacher's wife. And without getting too much into, you know, her story, there's been times where she's felt uncomfortable about comments people have given her when she wears nice jewelry. To me, that is absolutely preposterous and anti-biblical to get angry at a pastor's wife because she owns a piece of jewelry that isn't just, a, you know, a piece of junk that you can buy at Claire's or whatever. And I know my sister and I know my brother-in-law, who is the pastor, and they are some of the most humble people you will ever meet. They do not live beyond their means at all. In fact, I'm pretty sure my sister buys everything secondhand. <laughs> That's what we were taught to do growing up. But my sister and my brother-in-law, they are very uh, conscientious about how they spend their money. They, they do not live beyond their means. And most preachers I know, at least the ones all around here, typically do not live beyond their means. In fact, they live worse off than the majority of people in America. That is why... So many people out there, it's so difficult to find a preacher for your church. It's so difficult to find somebody to come and uh, serve at your church because the pay is so terrible that it takes a very special person. It takes a very special family to be able to live comfortably with what the the church offers them, with what the, the church gives them. So I'm very passionate about this because in scripture, multiple times, this isn't the first time Paul mentions paying your leaders. This is not the first time. It's also mentioned later on in 1 Timothy. Paul mentions this exact same verse, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Because that's what people do. They want the pastor to do all the work without giving them money. And yet that is unjust. That is unfair to expect a person to work hard at something, give their life over to it, and to do it for free. That's actually cruelty in some aspects. Just as muzzling the ox and not allowing him to eat, that is cruelty. And honestly, I I would argue that if a preacher is out there to gain material possession, he's not doing it for the right reason. But it is disheartening to put a lot of work forth and not see a lot of results. Does that make sense? It's not just me either. People I know who are in ministry who feel very, very similarly to that. But there's a reason pastors and preachers keep doing it. And that is because they love God and they want people to come to God. They they don't want to hinder the gospel of Christ. So my challenge to anybody listening in is to tithe. Tithe at your church. Give something. It doesn't even have to be 10%. Give something to your church. Because your tithes help your pastor. And not just your pastor, it helps your church to grow. It helps your pastor's wife feel refreshed. It helps uh, the ministries to grow. It helps your volunteers. It helps your youth pastor, your worship leader. And if you are taking every single Sunday from your pastor without giving something in return, 
That's a cruel thing to do. And scripture actually supports that it is a cruel thing to do. Guys, I know that this episode was a little bit different because um, this is something that is near and dear to my heart, not just because I own a ministry myself, but because I have a sister who is in ministry. I have a brother-in-law who is in ministry, and I'm very close to my own pastor. And I've grown up in the church, and I've seen a lot of issues that come from people taking in the church and not giving in return. But guys, I do ask that you have a fantastic weekend and that you are blessed by this episode in some way. And also that you tune in on Monday for an episode talking about the Leverite law. In other words, the law where the woman has to be married to her brother-in-law. We're going to talk about that. It's going to be a great episode. So tune in then 6 a.m. or whenever you choose to wake up. I'll see you guys then. Happy listening. Happy weekend. And God bless. <laughs>